Welcome everyone to the Disco Posse Podcast. My name is Eric Wright. I'm going to be your host today. Don't forget to keep following along. You can go to discopossepodcast.com, get show notes, links, and more. You can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. And with that, let's get started. All right. Welcome back, everybody. This is Eric Wright. Uh, I am here hosting the Disco Posse podcast. For folks that are new, welcome aboard. For anybody who's uh, been with us before, thanks again for listening. Uh, I do encourage, we're getting some great ratings and great feedback. It is always helpful, of course, to, to keep us bumping up, make sure that more people can get access to the great conversations and people that we talk to here. So if you don't mind, go into iTunes, uh, give us a rating. Uh, be honest. Uh, you know, fee- all feedback is good. Uh, luckily, it's mostly been positive. So I'm, I'm very pleased and, and thank you to everybody for listening. Uh, with that, I've got an amazing guest today. I've been super lucky that I've been able to talk to a lot of folks that are, that are doing neat and exciting new things. And today, I've got Om Sutar, who is joining me. He's got a really slick platform called Squirrel. We're going to talk about the platform. We're going to talk about the startup story behind it. Uh, Ohm's got a really neat story in general. So with that, Ohm, let me ask you to introduce yourself and where can folks find you online if they want to get you connected? Sure. Um, so, hey, my name is Ohm. I'm the founder of Squirrel. Um, you can catch us on uh, www.sqrl.me. Um, otherwise, you can also find me on Twitter. Um, we have the handle uh, sqrl.me. Uh, or you could reach out to me directly at astron astrom omnot with a zero instead of an o for my name um so uh but i'm sure we can link these things on 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 the podcast details and uh, happy to get connected with our listeners for sure yeah and just i i i i had to say i absolutely love your your twitter handle because i'm like <laughs> ah I'm a fan of space. As I as we sit really right now, I'm I'm actually in Orlando. Uh, just visited the uh, the the SpaceX assembly site yesterday. Oh, so rad! So cool, so cool, so much yeah. amazing stuff. So, hey, talk about building something that's that's coming from an idea, and you know, hey, this one may not go to Mars, but it goes into a side of the, of everybody's world that I think is super important. You've got yeah. this really neat platform called Squirrel. It is the, I will call it the merger of three of the key things that people lose track of the importance of and the value of and the goodness of, because we don't often are, we don't do very well as humans of like kind of, keeping track of the positive things, keeping track of the flow of, of productivity. And it's, it's really neat that somebody can generally get great focus on one area. And so that'll be positive. You know, we can do our, our daily, you know, we can scribe down our notes and say, all right, here's, here's the things that are making me good today that I'm, I'm pleased. I'm going to set my goals. And at the end of the day, you can review other folks are like, okay, here's my kind of my savings goal. Uh, and then you've got other folks that are, you know, here's my, my personal goals around, you know, diet, exercise, et cetera. So talk about Squirrel, your idea, and 
how you've kind of, you've brought all this stuff together in, in one really, really slick place. Yeah. Um, so, uh, we're helping people own their holistic well-being and, um, and not have holistic well-being seem some kind of pie in the sky aspirational, uh, fluffy word, but something that you can really measure and understand. Um, and we help focus on physical, emotional, and financial well-being. Uh, the way we do that is we encourage um, our users to start every day with the app, um, uh, writing down the, the one thing that they're grateful for and how it makes them feel. Um, over the course of the day, you'll track the steps that you naturally take each day. We'll try to encourage you in a non-judgmental way to, to keep active, and then you can tie a savings habit to it. So imagine setting aside a dollar of your own money for every thousand steps you take. Um, by averaging as little as 3,000 steps, you can set aside $1,000 within a year um, using Squirrel. And, and then finally ending the day with one thing you accomplished and how that makes you feel. And every morning you'll wake up with a report of uh, recapping how you did yesterday across those three planes and to hopefully help you start start your day right and on your own accord. But the key thing here is this is not about a deep dive into each of those things. It's about little microbite habits that you can start and manage and they're small enough that you can keep uh, uh, not not just for one day or ten days but um, really a, a full year so um, I, I think and, and the and the reason I started this was uh, I worked for Capital One for over four years and uh, helped them scale their money coaching program where people talked about financial stress with the certified life coach and I realized that financial stress was just one dimension and I saw firsthand how physical, emotional and financial uh, well-being are really tied together. Um, and so I, this was my experiment to try to do something about it. Uh, when I started out, I never meant to make a platform, let alone an app. I, it, we literally started by me um, reaching out to about 40 of my friends for a month. I ran a test where I harangued them to send me screenshots of the steps they took each day, and then I'd send uh, them text messages, uh, motivational content every morning, recapping how they did and equating it to savings to see if there was a tie there. And after a month, um, we like already had built basically a content hierarchy where we uh, uh, encourage, recognize, and reward. Uh, in the, in the way we write content uh, based on the level of activity that you have. So, uh, you know, and, and the really the reason we took that non-judgmental position was like every time I look at my Apple Watch in the morning, like it doesn't recognize what I'm doing, even though it has the data. It starts with make it happen today or like some agnostic right. message that I get over and over. Right? I'm like, <laughs> so I have this really sassy relationship with my Apple Watch and I was like, okay, I think we can do better and, and this may be how, and we've been incrementally building over the course of the last mm, 15 months. Um, and, and recently we added gratitude journaling because one of the things in my own founder story um, that was, that's been a big part has been gratitude journaling, but um, I have a kid now. Um, I have a career as well. So uh, building this on the side, it was really, really hard for me to uh, keep a, journal, keep on top of finances, stay physically active. So this is really, I mean, 
in an odd way, something that serves me as well as uh, the customers that I I built this for, which is um, not the type A people, right? Because if you look at the app uh, landscape and you hinted on this a little bit, um, if you really are into running, then you'll use Strava and it's a great app, but like that's like purely for runners. Uh, if you want to learn savings, you just you have to jump straight into a 401k ETF management uh, app like Acorns. Uh, and if you want to learn mindfulness, you jump straight into uh, like a deep gratitude journaling uh, app or um, or you know something like uh, Calm where you're just going really deep into meditation. All of these are really great, but there's kind of this uh, entry point uh, that's kind of missing for folks that aren't the type A, and that's really who we built Squirrel for. You've and you hit on there's like so much amazing. I swear that uh, we'll get into your background shortly, but like I would say that the things that you've brought forward, whether you have the background or not, are like the fundamentals of behavioral economics and behavioral psychology. In that being able to like unlock the ways to successfully set these micro goals, and so I actually just had a very recent podcast with a, a good friend of mine. His name's Adam Post, and we talked about kind of determination and goal setting, and that was kind of the foundation. And, and I've run these similar experiments in in my own life personally and and among my peers. Every year we would do something like just for fun. You would set up this like we I called it thirty and thirty. So doing thirty uh-huh. blog posts in 30 days. And so for bloggers, that was a big thing. But like you said, it was really much, I'm speaking to a targeted audience and my goal is to like take them way further, but they're already in. And even then, it's such a monstrous goal. Everybody has like big eyes. They're like, all right, I'm ready for this. And uh, 10 days in, the wheels come off the bus (laughs) and they realize like, I can't fit this in. And so what happens is we back off and you not only back off, you like you run away from the goal all of a sudden. So instead of just saying, you know what, that was too big of a goal. I'm happy I'm going to hit 15 this month. No, people suddenly go dark because they don't want people to know that they've unloaded this goal. And that so they actually hide from it. So it be, creates a super negative behavioral response. So I realized that same as like those things to say how to get to 100 push-ups. You know, it's 100 push-ups in, yep. in 100 days. Well, I'd rather do 100 push-ups in a year. Like think of, and I tell people when you give them coaching on this, like to do it effectively, to get you to do 100 push-ups when you're not doing any at all, you're going to do two push-ups today. And then you know what we're going to do tomorrow? You're going to rest. And then the yep. next day, you're going to do three push-ups. And the hardest thing for us to do sometimes is to scale that back. Like you said, when you talk to the type A folks, so long story, you know, to, to bring it back to what you've really, really nailed down here, Om, is that setting these accessible, achievable, continuous goals with feedback loops that ensure that you're getting the right positive, you know, reminders and then using gratitude to remind yourself. So it's not just someone saying, great job. Oh, I saw you did this thing today. You did your steps. You did your savings. Awesome. You know, it's you going in and saying, okay, I'm feeling good about this thing today. And I also get this little positive reminder or just, you know, so I love, I love all the stuff that came together in in your idea. Yeah. You know, the, the thing that you're, 
you're clearly passionate about and, and understand goal setting really well. Um, one of the things that we stayed away from is when you start the experience, I don't want you to have to set all these parameters and things like that. I just want you to jump straight into the value prop and experience it for yourself. And then over time, you'll, you know, it, 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 it's got a compounding value, right? So in two weeks, if you keep the app, that's when we see our churn uh, reduce the most is that if you make it that long, then you really stay with us. And um, we're actually working on goal setting. And like, there's one fundamental thing that I wanted to like zoom in on was, you know, when we make goals, we're making covenants with ourselves. And when we break those goals, um, it, it affects our confidence, our self-confidence on some level. And when you don't make those goals with others, it, it, it affects your credibility because it, it's a really simple equation, right? It's uh, uh, doing, declaring what you're going to do, your intent, divided by you doing it really creates accountability. And now repeat accountability over time, that's credibility. And so we're really working on building the engine of accountability and credibility. And really, I see even uh, uh, accountability and recognition as the flip sides of the same coin. Because, hey, you know, when you have, uh, let's say, two peers helping you with the goal, uh, holding you accountable, and they're highly accountable. And uh, when you don't make it, they're there to give you encouragement. And when you do make it, they're there to give you instant recognition that you did that thing that you said you, you set out to do. Because, and the reason we didn't start this experience with all of that uh, front-loaded is because I, along with every other human I know, we're terrible at expectation setting with ourselves, especially when it comes to starting new things. So it's better to create a baseline of information and understand where you're at before you take a leap and try to make uh, a commitment to go somewhere new. I love it. Yeah, it's, and it's, it plays out as I've seen it in my own life and, and uh, other like mentoring groups and stuff that I've done. It's, it's funny that it's almost, I mean, in a sense, it really is truly is algorithmic in the way that we can measure the success of certain things. And like you said, I love this idea of, you know, the goal or divided by the, the outcome, like really, because it truly that's, there's ways that we can see and, you know, and you've seen it yourself. You talked about two weeks. So if someone's with you beyond two weeks, they've, they've got enough of a motivation and momentum that they're, they're getting the, the idea behind it. So it's, and with that, I mean, I'd love to hear about you, you know, what, what uh, you talked about capital one, you talked about your background. How did, how did you, how did you start your, your foray into entrepreneurship off the side of the desk here? <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, so I've been a lifelong, uh, I studied automotive design. Um, I've practiced design on three different continents. Um, uh, and then I, I moved into UX design as, as that field's called. Um, but more, uh, I, I always saw myself as a product, um, a product designer, which means I was always focused on solving this, find, identifying problems, building uh, hypotheses uh, founded in insights, and then trying to build solutions, not necessarily products, because products would manifest themselves in different shapes. Um, and I was really, what I love about software is, uh, what used to take four years to launch a product, a physical product, takes 18 month cycles if you're doing it right or less. 
Um, and, you know, especially with the emergence of the App Store, we saw um, that flywheel get faster and faster to, to the point where we're in this market now where um, there's almost like an app uh, atrophy. So it's really hard. It's like it's never been easier to build an app, but it's never been harder to market it or cut through the noise. Right. Um, and, and I've built my career um, really working in a, a horizontally across a lot of fields. So I've designed everything from packaging design, like a, like a maker's mark bottle to um, uh, transportation, like an electric scooter for inner city women in India to, um, you know, the, the street car fare system in Toronto. Uh, uh, so uh, this has all been kind of a culmination where I've been able, I've been very grateful for being able to design experiences that touch millions of lives and then i got to this point in my career where i realized um can i figure out product market fit on my own on one of my own ideas uh on one of my own problems that i'm passionate about and how far could i take it so really squirrel was meant to just at at the very least be a test of those own skills and i exceeded my expectations by actually being able to at least bring a product to market on my own within three months of uh, three months of uh, from inception. So um, that's been incredible, but I can't say I've done it alone. I have an amazing wife that's been very supportive. I, I did this like right along the time when we had our first child. So uh, there were a lot of sleepless, sleepless nights that I put uh, to work on, on this on the side. And, um, there are, there are a lot of great startups out there that have helped us fold a lot of work that otherwise would be with, out of reach, like Clerky, where all the legal services and things like that are um, really well designed and automated. Um, and, and they cut a lot of the cost by uh, making that those services within reach on their platform. So those kind of things have really helped us along the way. Um, and my biggest learning in the past year, though, has been uh, network. Uh, uh, as you know, because you, you run a blog and you, you know your background, but um, the one thing that I do different is before you build any product, build your network um, because you can't do it alone. Um, people need people to make great things and great experiences, and uh, it takes time and it takes genuine effort beyond transactional conversations, which is what you would want to do uh, because you want to be efficient with your time, but it just doesn't work that way because we're all humans and we need to see each other as, as such. So, um, yeah, that's, that's been kind of, uh, our 15 month journey, uh, to this point. And, uh, you know, we, we always have this tug and pull between, uh, finding product market fit and, uh, exponentially growing. But at the same time, uh, there's a lot of experimentation and creativity that goes into a startup. So, you need to give yourself enough time and a real read on that uh, to get it right before you uh, scale something. Because it's easy to scale something that could be broken and you'll just multiply your problems and you don't want to do that. Yeah, and that's the the very interesting thing. I've got a, a good friend and, and he's uh, that's sort of his area of, of focus right now. Uh, he's uh, founded a, a couple of companies uh, and, and it's amazing to see he's, he's really approaching the whole startup process as an, an, a kind of an algorithmic approach of how do you more successfully set up 
a company to do the three year, the first three years in 18 months. And it sounds like that isn't a huge win, but you just talked about that, right? Luckily we've got access to, to these services and, and tools and, and, and folks that are out there to make your, your startup building process smoother. But you know, it's, 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 one thing is like finding funding, creating the, you know, finding the product market fit first, finding the problem. And, it, and I love his ideas very simply is like, come to me with a problem statement and then let's see what's been done. Let's see if we've got an idea that's going to work. And if we know that we're in the right ballpark and we're heading the right direction, then let's ramp up the bro the building of the business around it to make sure that you as a founder can focus on solving that problem and we'll set up your tech stack, set up your legal entity, set up like, and I love this idea of, of doing that. And, and you know, there's so many services you can do now, even as a, as a solo founder, you know, like you said, it's, you're never solo. You're, you're never alone anymore. Cause first of all, your wife, God bless her, you know, like is making, making the, the, the extra hours happen so that, and you are doing it with sleepless nights and, and I'm in I've same situation. I've got way too many side things I've always got going on. And, and my wife always tells me like, you're nuts. Like I've, I said, I got this idea and she's like, just shakes her head like, Oh, Oh goodness. But you know, in, in the end, 10 years from now, when, when a couple of those things have, have now proven themselves out, we can look back and say like, ah, okay, you have to kind of try a bunch of things and you have to do that stuff. And if you can focus on the building of like bringing that idea to life versus how do I set up my legal entity and how do I get actually like, oh, like that's, that's a whole different beast. So many, there's so much more. I, you and I, we got to spend time and talk deeper, deeper about that. But I, I love one thing I want to pull on automotive design. So I saw this as your background. I was like, all right, this is cool. So <laughs> I taught the, the greatest software builders I've known in my life almost always have a background in user and human interaction. It's generally, they've got behavioral psychology. They've dealt with user experience design because if you can think about how it's going to be consumed and how it will be consumed in ways you never expected, then I find that the, the ability to build software and adapt software is greater. Yep. And so I'd love to hear your, where have you found that design led you faster to a good result? And I'd love to hear a story. I'm sure you've got one or more. Where did you find somebody did something they, you didn't expect with something that you built? <laughs> Yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, the first was, you know, when we were studying industrial design, uh, and I went to Coventry university in England, um, we, we did everything from anthropometry and human factors analysis to ergonomics, which these are the studies of human movement to, um, how we interact with objects. Right. So the interaction design really extends beyond digital interfaces and the way I think about them. Um, uh, you know, when we design signage with this perspective, you think about like, Hey, how far away am I, if I'm walking towards a sign, how far away am I going to start engaging with the sign in the plane of field where I am recognizing the sign and I'm trying to read it. And then you decide how big the typeface, 
font, um, the, the signage actually has to be in order to meet that requirement. And there's a little bit of math and arithmetic um, that goes into it. Um, same things with, uh, similar things with like force actuation on physical keyboards and things like that. Um, I've, the first of many interfaces I've built were literally um, failure modes for a one point, uh, like a 128 by 48 pixel screen that we coded up in Excel. <laughs> so nice. I learned Excel macros, right? And uh, this is like a gate operator for a physical uh, product. So, um, I mean, it, it just changes your mentality. The other thing is, if you start in software, um, there's always this mentality in Agile of like, we'll put it in the next release. But in, in the physical world, there is no next release. Like you have to make some hard deadlines and you have to work back. So it's, it's built a little bit more order and I take deadlines a little bit more seriously because of that background. Um, uh, not, that's not to say that some things have definitely made the next release when we, we haven't perfected them. Um, and I, but, but most of all, I really do believe in being lean with capital, lean with the team. You don't need a huge team to do a lot of great things. You just need really strong designs and priorities. And my, I'm fortunate that I can dream up things. I can put them into, you know, prototypes that I can put on usertesting.com, get early feedback before we've committed anything to code, refine and add that level of refinement before we make that commitment and and then increase the fidelity of testing thereafter so we run two-week sprints uh we release to ios and android uh beta releases whenever we have new features we typically spend a month in in, in testing that before we launch them publicly um i have a cicd pipeline uh we uh and then we also uh work around the clock so my team's in india and i'm in us so uh, every morning and every day uh, in the evening is when I spend time to preparing uh, and taking feedback from the team and giving them next steps. And then um, they work overnight while I'm sleeping and then I wake up to do it all over again. So it makes it quite manageable, especially as a side gig uh, so far. Um, but we've also developed everything uh, in native. So there is uh, there's not going to have to be a refactoring of the code base when we actually scale things, which is another really great, um, contrary to, you know, most most stories, but like really great for us because we're handling health data and other API connections where uh, our, our perceived value is only as good as uh, the strength of those connections. And I've done all of this as a non-technical founder. This is stuff that I've picked up and learned along the way. So if I can do it, I, f I strongly encourage that any non-technical founder can pick these things up and uh, learn them if they choose to. Well, that's that's the thing too as well. A lot of people, they sort of fear like, how do I, I take an idea and bring it to the next next phase, right? And like just test it out. And, and there really are so many things. And, you know, there's resources out there. There's services that you can leverage. I mean, like you said, I mean, I'm a fan. I use Upwork for a lot of like, I had to do something. I, I was, I was building a, a product, you know, or building, uh, you know, this, this, this application. And I said, okay, well, I can take it to a certain level, but I need help with, with this little third party integration. So I just go on to Upwork and, and hire somebody, they get it done. It, it literally cost me half what I thought it was going to, because it was fast for them. Cause they're like, Oh, got it. It actually didn't take as long. So it's funny. It's not like you're hiring a, a somebody to keep on full time. And they say like, Oh, I got, 
I got a 40 hour assignment. I got to take all 40 hours to do it. Uh, and it's, it's interesting that we can kind of use the sort of gig capabilities and following the sun for developments. And it's not, like you said, you can stay lean. It's not a huge undertaking. It's not a capital outlay to get these, these things started. Um, and then, yeah, sort of the second part that, that I, I love, cause I love when things go right. And I'd love to hear, like I said, the, when it, have you built something? And then when you watch somebody use it, you're like, Oh, that's interesting. I never would have done that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That happens a lot on the design level, which is exactly why we tested a lot of prototypes. Um, uh, content writing is not something that comes naturally as fast to me as it may for others. So um, when we were initially even testing out this concept by building a one pager website, a lot of the um, the language needed massaging. It wasn't clear. So like one of my biggest learnings is saying, um, saving for yourself, saving a dollar for yourself for every thousand steps had a very different outcome from saying, you're setting aside a, a dollar for yourself for every thousand steps. Just replacing, save, uh, you know, the, the original word with setting aside instead of savings had a huge impact in how people understood that, hey, I'm funding my own savings versus where is this money coming from? Um, and, that, and that is a really big uh, learning. Uh, another big learning as a first-time founder for me was your product's not going to be for everyone. So you have to be really confident about and understand who, it, who this is built for. So there's a lot of people that were like, well, why would I want to save money for myself? Uh, where's the free money? I'm like, well, I, that's not what we're addressing. So this is probably not for you. And that's <laughs> yeah. okay. Well, and this this is the thing is a, I I call it like product management, and I, I actually did a, a hackathon series with uh, with a friend, a small sort of like virtualization and 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 uh, ops community. I wanted to bring people into doing hackathons that are not traditionally hackers. So I wanted people that are like IT ops folks. I want you coding and I'm going to show you how easy it is because I'm not terribly smart, but I can pull this off. And like we dragged people through this process, but the big thing was educating first. Like, okay, before we get to like, I know you won't sign up for a hackathon because you're afraid of it. So I'm going to tell you why you don't need to be. And we went through this like sort of webinar series. And one of the things that I was like super, super, you know, strong on is that a product and a product manager, which is effectively anybody that wants to just take an idea, and bring into something. It could be the smallest possible set of a technical goal you want to build. I said, you have to be ruthlessly pragmatic. You have to just say like, here's the thing I'm going to do and like define the edges, make sure you know, and it's not, it may morph, it may pivot a little in, in how you approach it or, or how it gets consumed. But ultimately, like you said, somebody's going to come up and say like, oh, well, I, 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 I wouldn't use this. Like, Thank you for your feedback. <laughs> yeah, I got, if I have 40 people that like it and one person that doesn't, that's not the one that I'm going to use to define my next sprint and my next feature backlog. Like I, you've really got to go and listen to a lot of ideas and then be very, very pragmatic about remembering what you're trying to achieve. And like you said, my goal audience and my target audience is this and they're using it successfully. When someone out of that bunch comes in and says, it suddenly doesn't work for me, aha, okay. My target audience who's using it 
is telling me feedback that's that's meaningful versus somebody coming from the outside like you said where's where's my free stuff how do i like tap tap the button get my free goodies (laughs) yeah um and the other thing is you know there's a lot of noise and there's a lot of things you could be doing as a founder um you have to stick to what your core strengths are and amplify them as much as possible so for me it's really being in the product development uh phase but now i'm learning you know about SaaS. uh uh sales models and how, how do you actually like once you build a product go make those sales happen um because we've scaled now squirrel to uh, a workforce program that we're piloting to help on an aggregate anonymous level help uh organizations especially hr understand uh their their workforce not just as resources but as people because outside of hiring and firing they actually have no live data on how to make decisions that are very expensive about like what benefits you take on and things like that. Um, and especially when you're looking at like emerging markets, like the gig workers, um, you know, uh, people are, especially in, um, in labor jobs, skilled labor jobs, there's a high turnover. Um, we're trying to help organizations understand and address those concerns with, with data uh, in, in a responsible way using this platform. So it, it's a complete gear change. And, and the biggest thing I, I'd say that the, any founders listening is pitch competitions are great. The, that stimulus is, is a nice sum of money. And, but after it's all done, I guarantee the contract that you get and the, the money you get from a customer feels way better <laughs> than, than the, the money you win from a pitch competition. That's it, right? It's the, you know, that, that you get that, that backing. Somebody's like, Hey, all right, I believe in what you're doing. Uh, however, I don't believe in it enough to not take a big hunk of your term sheet <laughs> as part right, of the yeah. deal. Right? Yeah. If bootstrapping is a, is a really wild process, it means that you're lean from the beginning. Uh, and I love, especially when you're, the fact that you're building while you're doing a real lifetime of work at the same time and building a family and, and all this other stuff like bootstrapping is such a beautiful feeling. Like you said, when you get that first, you know, every store used to have it. If you ever, so I'm old enough. I used to walk into stores cause there used to be physical stores everywhere. Right? And, and yeah. they would have the $1 bill on in a frame, like behind the, the counter. And it was always like, this was my first dollar as a beautiful reminder of like, I, I built this from that. And, and, you know, having that first thing where you look and you're like, holy, holy heck, I've actually got a customer who said they're willing to, to pay money for this thing that we built. It, it's so inspiring. Uh, and, you know, obviously there's, I, I'm not saying that, you know, founding and, and funding and, and choosing angel versus, you know, bootstrapping what there's, there's every way is right if it's right for you. But yep. I, I'm with you on right. this idea that like when you, when you see it working and customers are giving you feedback and feedback by subscription is a profound, uh, beautiful feeling. Uh, so that that's cool. Now yep. you're, I love that you've really stayed on the, the focus of the consumer of your product is not the workforce directly. It's the people in the workforce. And that's why I love your, your new program that you've, even though it looks like it's a different kind of product or to a lot of people would say like, Oh, it looks different because you're now you're, you're targeting the company. Like, no, no, no. 
you're targeting the people who work for the company. The company just happens to be the one who's going to buy into it. But like your your focus being on the consumer of your product as the end user, the person tapping the the app. So how did how do you find the balance now of keeping that strong focus of the user of the system while also then building the value for the company who would use it to keep their people happy? Yeah, uh, it's it's not really a balance, but a prioritization. We've always built this from the ground up. So I explain it and pitch it as such. Um, and that's our main differentiator from some of the other products out there, right? Um, what, what, but we've aligned and understood from HR uh, organizations what they, what's, what's important to them and what they need. So for example, we cut out all the middlemen and insurance companies in the sales process. This is a direct to employer sales. They can launch a, a program with us within minutes and clicks, not days or weeks. Um, our program doesn't, because it's digital, it doesn't eat away into the, like, the actual work hours. So you don't have a training seminar or like a PowerPoint that you have to run them through to help. No, this just taps into the lives that they're naturally living and nudges them and uh, provides encouragement because you're probably already spending $400 per employee per year on things like uh, gym memberships, but you're not getting any ROI or, or if you even are, you don't know what that ROI is. So, but you could take those same amount of funds and incentivize them in the right way, uh, customize them to the values and the budget of your company and then deploy it. And we automate all the parts that are tedious, like uh, onboarding and communicating and having monthly challenges and things like that. Um, we take care of all of that. So you have the peace of mind to operate uh, on our platform uh, and we, we take care of all the hard stuff. So that's really how we, uh, I, I guess, uh, recognize the needs of the HR organization and the company, when, especially when it's like a small to mid-sized company and you don't have the capital of like a large enterprise to uh, throw fancy benefits around. Um, but we also want to grow with the companies that as you do grow, you use this as a signal to understand hey, my em employers are really into, um, uh, there's a high level mental stress with their job. We need to uh, afford more benefits on that front. Well, our, our platform will help you actually read and get that. And then finally we gauge NPS for the, uh, for the employer. So you actually see the perceived value of you as the employer increase or decrease uh, and, and understand why uh, through Squirrel. And the the thing that's very good about using this as a program to continuously develop and nurture your your employee experience and a positive work experience is you can capture the middle. And I say the, I say the middle because the only pieces of feedback that we generally get number one horrifying negative feedback. Right? People love once they're angry, that's when they're ready to start typing and talking. And that's when you go on Glassdoor and, you know, no one goes on Glassdoor and says like three and a half to four stars. Like, no, it's, it's one or five. Like it's, you, you get the edges. So the first is people are always incented internally to give negative feedback. And that's because you're, you're fired up. And so you need to, you need to get it out. 
So they'll, you know, put it out on, on public forums or even internally. They'll, the hard part then is then you get the other side of it, which is the people who are like, this is the best thing ever. And they're all bought in and they're probably rewarded in other ways, whether it's financially, you know, or, or through programs or something like they're generally, they're bought in. So you don't necessarily have to, you're preaching to the choir in that one. But all of those folks that are in the middle are the ones that you're very effective in being able to engage because there's, they're incented to stay involved in the platform, right? They're incented to keep that feedback going. And it's, that's the missing piece because you can't build a data-backed approach to nurturing a good employee experience when all you get is the gnarly edges. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I, you know, I'm really excited for the future where if we shift to a single-payer economy or if we can build a new financial product like an HSA that's decoupled from insurance altogether, um, we want to make this uh, – more and more a platform about empowering employers and consumers that are seeing uh, really all the uh, adverse effects of the rising healthcare costs being loaded onto them. And we want to make that more manageable. It, the, the, the fun thing about watching what you're doing and, and, and just the seeing the way that people are learning that they can now be super involved, right? There's, there are pretty easy ways to be involved in the success of yourself and your peers in an organization. And luckily, you know, in a lot of, a lot of startups, you see the opportunity that people are, are kind of like they're closer to it because if they're in, in a small company, so say sub 200 people, everybody does kind of a bit of everything. And so they yep. feel super invested in the, the outcomes that they're, they feel like they can actually influence the outcome of the company because they're, they're closer to it. And then as you hit 500 people, so my company I'm at now, we're at about 500, uh, 500 staff. And it's this really weird spot where suddenly you're like, Oh boy, there's stuff going on that I don't know about. And you find right. out about it and it's stuff that's going on in parallel with another team or you've right. got it's versus before you were, you, you always do what was going on because everybody knew everything. And then <laughs> you've got the super big companies, which are, are specifically siloed to make sure that anything that goes on with the website will be held by this team. And if you even think of an idea in another team, it just gets quashed. So that's, right. That's a terrible way to do things. And then as you bridge this like three, four, 500 person growth area, being able to use platforms like, like what you've built, you know, taking the, the squirrel idea and like keeping people engaged and centralize this knowledge and this, you know, sentiment. Then from there, it's so much better for an organization to keep that tight family feel, but also give you the benefit of growing. And like you said, give you access to programs. And when, when it comes into like HSAs and, and things like this, it's, it's funny as a Canadian, uh, I always, I always love when we talk about healthcare, people are always like, I guess we can't talk to you about the healthcare problems. I'm like, well, probably not right. as I, I can't, yeah. I can't have yeah. the best opinion on it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Different set of problems. I imagine. Now, 
So I, I got to dig in on Goldrat because it's like my favorite thing on earth. I'm like a monstrous studier of, of Eli Goldrat. You came out of industrial design. So I assume you've, you've read a, a lot of stuff around the idea of flow and, and you know, ultimately be, what became lean manufacturing and stuff like that. What would you suggest that people do to make their life better that industrial design taught us? Uh, you know, I always say Goldrat is a, is a great read. Uh, because he used a, a story approach in order to tell you how to do things better in a, an organization. Have you got any other stuff, Om, that you've found has been helpful for you in like, kind of what led you to become a, a founder, to build your family and, and build your business? Um, I, think, I think just being really focused on understanding the problem and, this, the, and, and testing Right. And, and understanding that your solution is the best possible way of solving this problem and that it's successful, the efficacy, measuring the efficacy of it. Um, those are like staying close to that is really at the root of any business because every business is like a is a people business. And it's not that industrial design taught me that, but like it was it was me doing industrial design. I realized that it was still like very much about people. I remember one time. Um, going to Nogales, Mexico, where we had a manufacturing plant, and I couldn't understand why my plastic design, like all the samples coming in were um, coming up scratched. And I realized that in our manufacturing belt, it was a three-foot drop from the belt down to the box. So all these these products are coming off the manufacturing belt and falling, and I had to talk to the line manager and say, hey, we should probably prop this up so it, the drop is not so great and it's because it's scratching up these uh, plastic parts right like hot off the press. And lo and behold, that solved the problem. Um, it really wasn't like a, a, a people problem, right? But it was, it was kind of a, it was a process problem. So uh, instead of finger pointing, instead of uh, emails, like just digging deep and asking enough questions to get to that point where you get on that plane and you go, uh, understand a little bit deeper what's happening in context and then address it. Um, that's really where the fun happens. And the, the, the idea that people can, I, I, I think more and more people are understanding the idea of empowering themselves to affect their environments. And, and like you as, as that designer, you had to go and like, okay, like you said, if I could email somebody and say, what, what the heck's going on in the factory? We've got this problem. We see it all the time in work. People are like, Hey, I can't get a hold of Pete or Joanne. Where are they? I'm like, have you, but you're not emailing them right now. You're emailing their boss or their peer and saying like, I can't get a hold of them. Well, if you have to email somebody to say, I can't get a hold of Pete, then maybe you should also add Pete to that same email thread because otherwise you've got yeah. this whole side channel of, of sort of politicking that's going on. And if you just put yourself closer to it and, you know, I, I love this idea of you have to forcefully as a founder, you have to get close to your, your customer. You have to get close to the process. You have to be, like you said, involved in measuring how the software is being built. You have to in process how it's being tested. You have to be involved in, in what the feedback is. You don't have to be a micromanager, but you have to be able to suddenly put yourself at the front line 
Whether, and that's like maybe it's the, the Jocko Willink, you know, type of, it doesn't necessarily need to be this, this military style attack force, you know, but they, they have good sort of things and like kind of this leadership mentality of, of taking ownership of it is an extreme ownership. It, it, I, I'll call it pretty good ownership. It doesn't have to be extreme, <laughs> but be, yeah. you know, go through the process of getting involved in end to end even just to yep. witness it and, and be ready for feedback. It's uh, undercover boss, right? That was the whole thing. I always, always laughed at those shows. So like, you know, you, you see the story and you're like, Oh, I never realized it was this tough when you're actually here. And here you are, you're at the end of the yeah. line going, there's a three foot drop. I think I found the problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now, Om, did you do any other backgrounds yourself on like on, on management and like, on, on business building or did that kind of come, uh, you know, in, in learnings along the way? Um, I'm, I'm a lifelong learner. So I picked up things like, uh, I got a certification in advanced project management from Stanford. Um, I've been very interested in cognitive behavioral science, um, uh, and training, uh, and then learning about life coaching, um, through money coaching. So, um, I've picked up on a lot of these things along the way and it's helped define my own um, leadership capabilities. I'm also um, a director at my full-time job where I manage about eight people. So um, leading has become uh, not only a responsibility, but kind of, I I express it as an honor. Uh, So, you know, I, I, that's the, that's a great thing about leadership is, uh, I view it as I got to understand my skills as an individual contributor to a high, high enough level. Now I get to help others understand their own skills and actualize on their potential as much as possible. Right. And it's the same with, with startup and the startup space as well, because the energy you put in the energy of who you are and the energy of the people that you bring in to help you with this really define and permeate throughout your product and experience. I, you have an, an admirable uh, humility in leadership, which is what a lot of folks need to to take in, you know, I encourage people to do the same thing. I, it's so different because, you know, when we look at the startups, uh, startup organizations and, and, and sort of company founders, quite often people see this big, bold, like you have to be a kind of a type A person, but that doesn't, not every successful company is built by this, like, type a you know i'm ready to run down my my competitors type of mentality it's i find the best companies and best teams are built by somebody who's willing to lead and honored to lead which is it's refreshing so i uh, thank you for sharing it that way it's uh uh, i'm sure there's a lot of lessons that led you to that because sometimes we feel it's like hey i've been here for 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 six years i should be the boss now like you get that you hear that like oh no it's not just a time in thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, as a designer, you think a lot and you think really deeply about why people do things and how things work. Right. And we have a lot of these biases where it's like, uh, an implicit bias that, Hey, if I put in time, then I'm, I'm, I should be great at this. It's not just 10,000 hours. It's 10,000 like intentful hours of practice into something. Right. And, and the market's also shifting. So, that's the other thing is if you're not a lifelong believer, I don't know how you get to lead uh, uh, an organization or a set of people because 
every two to three years, it feels like I have to add or shift or um, augment my understanding and, and current uh, knowledge set. That's it. It's a uh, life. Life comes at you fast, uh, yeah. and, and and we have to stay. Life has to be agile, and it's such a such a thing that you know people forget about sometimes. You know, I, and I think we've got a better awareness of it, which is why you're seeing more people that are using you know apps. You know, so they're going to be able to. They can use Squirrel. They can kind of you know dive in and and be involved in in the success of their day, which leads to the yep. success of their year, which ultimately leads to other life successes that come along because you've taught yourself these fundamentals. You brought up Calm as a great example. I'm so I. I love the idea of mindfulness. I try and practice things that, that get me to that and, and be thankful and, and have gratitude. And the funny thing is I tried to use calm and I, I get terrifyingly stressed out trying to use it. Cause I'm like, ah, I got to squeeze it in. And I'm like, so for me, my, my micro, you know, improvement approach to that is like, at the, I set my meetings and leave a five minute gap, you know, and I purposefully book like every couple of weeks, I just like block a day and, and just like, don't allow anything to happen that day and purposefully do non work things in the middle of the day for an hour to yep. separate me from the moments. And that's my mindfulness. That's my calm. That's my meditation is that, look, I know that I'm doing something, which when you get back from that hour, you're like, wow, you're refreshed and you feel like you owe it to yourself to go and, and do work better now because you're like, hey, I took that time for myself and I feel empowered to do the next thing. So it's, you know, again, it's, you know, so for everybody is not, every app is not for everybody. Uh, Absolutely. I, I love, so I would encourage people, uh, get in, take a look at Squirrel. Uh, even if it's not for you, just, just get why it's neat you know, take a look and follow along, keep track. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure to chat. I've stolen way too much mic time here just because uh, this really validates a lot of stuff I've been following along with and researching. So I thank you for letting me talk more than you, I think. Uh, but no, uh, no, uh, this has been a great conversation. I enjoy your blog. Um, I got to start, uh, you know, tracking it a, a couple of weeks back and it, it really connects well with the conversation we've had. So I think we'll, so for folks that want to get, get a hold of you, we'll include the links in, in the show notes. I'll put them up on the blog. Uh, I'm excited. We'll keep in touch because I want to, I want to check in as things go along when you've got news and, and things coming out, definitely reach out. We'll share them with the audience. Uh, and, and again, remind folks where they can find you and, and, and get access to Squirrel. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Eric. Thank you very much, Om. It's been a pleasure. And for folks, of course, to drop in. Uh, speaking of feedback, do do give us a, a, a feedback, whether however many stars you believe we deserve, I would love it. Uh, whether it's this episode or the whole podcast, do listen in. Uh, and of course, you can reach me. I'm at Disco Posse on Twitter. If you've got show ideas, you want to get involved, uh, my DMs are open, uh, which is always exciting. Yes, meet back, back channel conversations that are going on, but a ton of great folks are, are hearing what we're doing and getting involved. Uh, so I will uh, make sure that we, we get involved. So go to, uh, go to sqrl.me, go to Squirrel and, and check that out. Follow along with Ohm. Uh, thanks for, for everybody for listening. And with that, we'll talk to you on the next episode. You're listening to the Disco Palsy Podcast.